Well, for me, cross is a unifying factor where everyone is seen with equal parameter. And that is what we believe and trust, that through cross, we are made equal before God. For me, the cross means freedom from sin. No longer do I have to be ashamed of the things I've done or the person I was, but I'm now a new person in Jesus Christ and I can live free and joyful in him. When Jesus hung on that cross with his arms wide open for me, I was able to go from a life of sin and selfishness and move to a life of freedom and love with him. Cross to me is the assurance that Jesus Christ did not only came to give another set of religious ideas, but came to die for me. For me, the cross is the promise of victory in the face of adversity. I clearly remember, it must be 50 years ago, when the Lord revealed to me that the cross was the doorway into the life of God. So the cross on me is two things. Firstly, it means death has lost its sting. I can't wait for heaven and Jesus. And the second thing is go make disciples because there's people out there that don't know him. The cross meant to me is love, sacrifice and forgiveness. And the Jesus has died for my sin and he died for the people who has lost their way. The greatest revelation of God in all eternity took place at the cross 2,000 years ago when God incarnate bore the sins of the whole world. This was at the same time the darkest moment for the human race. At the cross, God is revealed to be abounding in love and grace, undeterred by the scorn of the ones he created and had come to save. God is beautiful in the unquenchable kindness of his person revealed in Jesus Christ. No human being could invent such an amazing story. The gospel is divine. Good morning and welcome to our Good Friday service. Today, more than any other day, we think about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what the cross means to you, but for me, it's the turning point of history. As we look back on this day, it's the day that changed everything. We can often think about the death and we can think about the resurrection of Jesus as two sides, perhaps of the same coin. People might argue one is more important than the other, but the reality is that both are essential when they come together. As we look at one side this morning, we look at the cross of Jesus and we think about what that meant for us. And there's a particular aspect of that that I want us to think about this morning. I want us to think about the blood of Jesus. Perhaps we don't think about the blood very often, but the thing I want us to encourage us this morning is that I think that the blood is possibly the most important thing ever. So the Bible talks a lot about blood. If we look back at the history of Israel, we look at all the bloody wars and we look at bloody sacrifices. Um, there was a particular time when Solomon had built his temple and they were inaugurating the temple. And it says, it says that they were sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted. It's in the book of 1 Kings 8, 5. 
Can you imagine that, that there were so many animals being slaughtered and how, to be honest, how gross that might have been with blood just everywhere. In the Old Testament, the blood was important to them in ways that we probably can't imagine today. We're a generation who have our meat pre-packaged in the supermarket. We don't have to kill anything, but it's all there done for us. And the only time we really encounter blood, hopefully, is if we go and donate blood uh, for the NHS or something like that. We're not a people who really um, experience blood and how that on an everyday level. I remember years ago watching the film The Passion of the Christ and particularly when it came to that crucifixion scene and I, I just couldn't look. It was, it was just overwhelming. Um, it was gruesome. And maybe there's a part of us that when we think about the blood of Jesus, it's a part that we want to gloss over. It's a part we want to think, oh, that's a bit gruesome. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about the good stuff. I want to think about the resurrection bit, the life bit. But the blood is so important and I want to share that with you today. So let's go back into that Old Testament uh, story and let us think about the context of why this Good Friday message is good news to us. So you're probably aware of the story of Adam and Eve when they were in the garden with God. They walked with him, they talked with him, they had communion with him. But when the serpent came and deceived them, they then chose their own way. They deviated from God, God's path and said, we're going to do what we think is best. We're going to um, choose our own way. And that's where sin came and entered into the world. And so those things they had, that relationship with God, the presence that they had with him was no longer possible. Sinful man could not be in communion with a holy and righteous God. And we must realise how this broke God's heart. It was never his intention for this to be the way. God's intention was always for him and his creation to be one, to be in communion and to be in relationship. So this must have broken God's heart when sin came and separated him from his creation. In that moment, God covered their shame. He clothed them and he set into motion ways in which he was going to uh, restore that relationship between them. So let's fast forward a few thousand years into the early days of the nation of Israel. God had led them out of slavery in Egypt and was now beginning to establish them as a, a nation. And just like Adam and Eve, just like you and I, they continually made these mistakes. And so there was this tension, there was this problem where they couldn't again be in this complete relationship together with God but God wanted to be with them he could have so easily have just said enough's enough and done away with them he was so tempted to do so so many times but he wanted to create ways in which they could be in relationship together so God gave Moses the instructions to build to build a tabernacle and this would be a place where God would dwell so the tabernacle was an ornate tent uh, made with many fine materials and gold and great woods and cloths and all these things. And there were two parts to it. There was the, the holy place. And that's where you had some, some of the altars. You had lampstands and bowls and things like that. Um, and that's where the priests could go. Then you had another section of the tabernacle. And that was called the most holy place. And that was the place only the high priest could go into just once a year 
And in the holy place, there was, sorry, in the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was a large uh, kind of box and it was made of gold. And on the, on the lid of this, there were two cherubim statues. And in the middle of that, there was what they called the mercy seat. And what the mercy seat represented was the presence of God. So when the presence of God, the cloud of God came upon the temple, this is where he would reside and be with his people. So if we read the Bible and we understand the nature of God, we understand that God is a God of justice. And so because of this, he couldn't overlook the sin of the people, but he would make a way in which the sin could be covered. It could be kind of managed um, so that relationship could continue and he could continue to dwell with them. So instead of bringing judgment, God allowed sacrifices to be made, sacrifices of animals that would take the place of the the death, basically, of the Israelites. So the animal would take their place. Their blood would be shed instead of the blood of the person. The judgment would come on the animal instead of on the person. And this would create a kind of a temporary peace between God and man and allow God to dwell amongst them. And there was one time in particular, once a year, and this was what was called the Day of Atonement, where sacrifices would be made for the whole people for all of their sin for the year and so this day would happen a little bit like this um, the day was a day that was set apart holy for the lord no one was allowed to work and everyone had to fast and if you didn't you were basically kicked out and so the priest would then come first of all the high priest he would have to make a sacrifice for himself because he was a again just like any of us a sinful man and he had to go into this holy of holies the most holy place and so if he did this and he wasn't completely right if he wasn't covered himself then he would die he was entering into God's presence and God's holiness would just consume him and he would die so in order to make um, covering for himself he would sacrifice a bull and the bull was sacrificed on his behalf for him and his family and so that meant without this, he wouldn't be able to even enter in to the most holy place to make the sacrifice. The next thing that he did, they would get two goats. Um, one goat, they'd take lots and one goat would be designated for sacrifice. And the other goat would be designated to be prayed over. And what they would do, they would come and lay hands on the goat and then they would confess the sins of the people over that goat. And once they'd done that, they would set it out in the wilderness, undoubtedly to die. And so the goat that would sacrifice as well. Um, so what would happen, the high priest would take the blood of the bull and go into that holy of holies. And he would sprinkle seven times um, before the mercy seat. The, remember, that's representing the presence of God. He would sprinkle seven times the, bull, the blood of the bull. And then he would do the same with the blood of the goat, come sprinkling seven times. And this offering, this sacrifice would make atonement for the sins of the people. Now, this would go on year after year. The high priest would eventually die and a new high priest would begin his role. And each year atonement would be made for the sins of the people by animals taking their place so that God could still dwell with them.
This was never God's perfect plan, though. And we read in the Bible that God wasn't really pleased with the sacrifices that were being made. Um, They were always kind of second best in his eyes. And there were two reasons potentially for this. One was because often people would come and they wouldn't really make sacrifices with the right heart. It would just be kind of get the job done so I can carry on with my life. And so they didn't have the right heart. But the other, and I wonder if this is in a sense the more important one, they never really did the job. They never really um, reunited God with man, which was always God's intention. And so God saw the insufficiency of these sacrifices and he wasn't really happy with them. Let's fast forward again a couple of thousand years and there was a man called Nicodemus and he came to Jesus at night. He never really got to say what he wanted to say and I think because Jesus knew at the heart what was the issue. And it was the same issue that has plagued man for 4,000 years up to that point and that was the issue of sin that separated us from God. Before Nicodemus even got going, Jesus said to him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And this was the age old problem because we are born with sin. We are separated from God and his kingdom. The only way for things to change, Jesus was saying, was for new birth, a new start. But how could this happen? So Jesus pointed Nicodemus back to a story he would have been very familiar with, well known. The Israelites at one time had disobeyed God again and a plague had come upon them. And the solution for this plague was Moses created this golden serpent. He put it on a pole and set it out in the wilderness. And so if people came and looked at this statue, then they would be healed. So then Jesus told Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We then hear some of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus came in the world to save the world, to bring eternal life. The old system did not offer a complete solution. It just covered things until a better solution could come. So that leads us up to the cross. The issue of sin had to be dealt with. God could not overlook it, but equally did not want to leave his creation condemned. I don't believe any of us can stand before God truly and say we are good enough, we're pure enough, we're righteous enough. The only answer for sin was blood. The book of Leviticus in the Old Testament tells us that the life was in the blood. So the blood was shed in sacrifice. Life was both taken and given. The blood of animals kept things covered, but offered no real solution. Better blood had to be shed. And so we read about how Jesus suffered on the cross. And there was no doubt that blood was shed. The beatings he took, the crown of thorns he wore upon his head, the lashings he took 
upon his back, the, the nails in his hands and in his feet, and at the very end, the spear that was put into his side. As Jesus was crucified upon that cross, as he came to the end, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. But what did he cry? The Apostle John, the one who stood at the foot of the cross, records the cry. It is finished. It is finished. What had finished? The mission that Jesus had come to fulfill had been accomplished. He had made it to his final destination. It was not his life that was over, but it was the old way, the old system that was over. A new time had come. The blood of goats and bulls would no longer need to be shed for the forgiveness of sins, but a better blood had been shed. A greater sacrifice had been made. Everything now changed. In this moment, Jesus fulfilled the words spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The old covenant was passing away. A new covenant was here. This is why we have the two parts of our Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but actually they're better translated the old covenant and the new covenant. When the first covenant was made, Moses took blood and water and he sprinkled it on the book of the law and this initiated this new covenant. Now, as the side of Jesus was pierced, we read that blood and water flowed out. And what this represented was a new covenant, a better covenant that was being made. As we look at this from a position of history, an event that happened, say, 2000 years ago, it can be hard to truly appreciate what this meant. As I think about what this would be like for us maybe today, I think about the stories I hear about workers who are in the brick kilns in Pakistan and India. Their father or their father's father, at some point, someone had sold them into slavery over a debt they could not pay. They worked so hard each day, but they could never pay off that debt. But then someone comes along, someone like my friend Kenny, who offers to pay that debt for them and buy them out of slavery. For these people, it was all they'd ever known. They had no hope, no future, but were destined to repeat the same rituals and routines every day without any real prospect of freedom. This is how we were before Jesus came, destined to never be at peace with God, to never know the freedom to be in his presence, the very thing that we were created for. But then someone comes and pays the debt that we could not pay, sets us up with work and home, a hope and a future. Can you imagine what this was like? The feeling, when you, the realisation of something you had never thought possible now becoming a reality. The debt that we could not pay was paid by the blood of Jesus. The life that we could not attain was now made possible 
by him. After Jesus cried out his last and gave up his spirit, the Bible tells us, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain represented the dividing wall between humanity and God, the place the, holy, the, the, place the high priest could only go but once a year. The dividing wall had now been torn down, but both on earth and in heaven, because we must realise that the temple was just a representation of the heavenly reality. The place the priest could only go once a year to the mercy seat of God represented the place of his judgment and his presence. The way to this had now been travelled by another, by the Lord Jesus Christ, who entered the eternal throne room of heaven, and he was seated on the real mercy seat. The high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. But Jesus came with his blood, pure blood, untouched by sin, that would not have been shed again and again, but would only have to be shed once and for all, for all people and for all time. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he clearly wrote how it was now in Jesus that we could be made right before God. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us were exempt. None of us could match the standard of God's glory. He says, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No matter how hard we worked, the debt could never be paid, but Jesus had paid it. Whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blood. Jesus was the only one who was our substitute given by God, whose blood was shed instead of ours. And how do we know this is true? Paul says it is to be received by faith. God has declared a new way, a new covenant. That's an agreement between us, a promise. Will you listen and will you receive this truth? It says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 20, that blood brought peace between us and God. We had been under God's judgment, under his wrath, but now there was peace between us. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 9 says, we are justified by the blood. The status we had before God, that we were guilty, was now wiped away and a new status, righteous, was pronounced. Acts 20, 28 says, we were bought with his blood. The price we could not pay was now paid for us. First Peter chapter 1, 18, 19 says, we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. We were purchased out of our hopeless slavery and given true life. Hebrews 9, 14 says, our conscience, our consciences were cleansed. This isn't just an outer cleansing, but our inner person was made clean. Matthew 26, 28 says, our sin is forgiven. God says he has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He says he remembers it no more. 1 John 1, 7 says, we are purified from all sin. We are given a fresh start made pure by his blood. Hebrews 13, 2 says, we are made holy by the blood. We are set apart now for God's purposes. And Hebrews 10, 19 says, we can enter with confidence into the most holy place. We can come before him, having the Holy Spirit within us, knowing one day 
we will be with him forever. Do we realise that if the blood of Jesus had not been shed, then none of these things would have been possible? We would not have known complete forgiveness, purity, purpose, his presence. We would still be lost in insufficient rituals that never truly connected us with God or made us right before him. I want you to think about Jesus now. I want you to think about him on the cross. Some around shouted, crucify him. Some mocked him, shouting, come on, save yourself. And darkness descended like the night before the dawn. As blood drips from his wounds, Jesus cries with a loud voice, it is finished. All your hopelessness, your brokenness, your sinfulness, your woundedness, all your striving, your separation from God in that moment, it is finished. This cup, Jesus said, that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Jesus poured out his life for you. His blood was shed and Peter makes it clear. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The sacrifice of Jesus was now sufficient for all people for all time because of who he was. His precious blood was shed for you. Today, you have two responses to Jesus. The first is to grasp this opportunity that Jesus has given you, the opportunity for a fresh start, to know your sins forgiven, your conscience cleansed, your life redeemed, and a pathway made clear before you to go into the throne room of God. You can say yes to him, receive him as your Lord and saviour and give your life to serve him. The promise of Jesus is that he will save to the uttermost, that's absolutely, completely, those who draw near to him. The second option you have is to count the blood of Jesus as of no consequence, to treat it as common and to dismiss it. Not only do you miss out on the wonderful promise of life that I've just shared with you, but one day you also stand before God in judgment, standing in your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own merit. And the Bible tells us that in that day, he will say to those people, depart from me, for I never knew you. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. My friends, if you've never chosen Jesus before, I urge you today to come before him, ask for forgiveness for your sins and to commit your way to follow him. If you do pray that prayer, I encourage you to get in contact with us that we might encourage you in that new life in God. If you've already made that commitment, I encourage you to reflect now and give thanks to God for the amazing love he showed for us when he died upon the cross. He chose to die for us that we might have this new life. And we thank God for that today. Amen.